0: Thank you very much, Dr. Rye. Um, I'd like to thank the organizers of the meeting for allowing me to speak today, and thank you to all of you for coming. So I'll be discussing um, briefly about novel agents in older patients with CLL and whether the approach should be different than younger patients. Um, During this short talk, we'll discuss some of the challenges in the care of older patients with CLL data from the frontline CLL studies that are most relevant to the older patient population, and then ongoing studies for these patients. So CLL, as you all know, is a disease primarily of older patients. The median age diagnosis is somewhere between 70 and 72, depending on where you look. And about three-quarters of patients are diagnosed after the age of 65. However, um, despite the prevalence of comorbid medical conditions and other potential causes of death in this age group, CLL remains the primary cause of death for patients diagnosed with CLL, regardless of age. And we know that older patients are treated for the disease at the same rate as younger patients. There are, of course, considerations um, in the older patient population which are similar to those patients who are younger that have multiple comorbidities. Um, You know, the biggest thing is that they are likely to have other medical issues besides just the CLL and things that result in decreased organ function, primarily decreased kidney function, but also cardiovascular disease, diabetes, things like that. Um, A study that was um, pretty remote suggested that about a quarter of patients over the age of 65 would actually be ineligible for most clinical trials based on kind of standard guidelines performance status has to be taken into account, and besides just performance status that you can see in the office, you know, can they get up and walk around the room, get up from a chair, Um, you also have to think about whether they're going to be able to come for multiple appointments, whether they have um, the mobility and the ability to sit in a treatment chair for hours on end, um, whether they have people who can drive them to and from appointments. And then finally, although we um, are kind of focused on chronologic age, we really have to think of patients not only with their chronologic age, but also physiologic age. And when we're thinking about um, these older patients who appear very well in the office before you start them on treatment, how are we actually going to change their physiologic age with our treatments? So we've known for many years that older patients and younger patients are not equivalent when we treat them for CLL. Um, this was known as far back as the CLL5 study, which was run by the German CLL study group. And you know, as a predecessor for this was the um, phase three randomized trial of fludarabine versus chlorambucil led by Dr. Rye, um, which showed that fludarabine was superior to chlorambucil. However, in this study, where patients um, greater than 65 were the focused um, um, patient population We actually saw that those two drugs were equivalent. So chlorambucil was just as good as fludarabine in patients who were older. And when you look at overall survival, it actually trended towards favoring chlorambucil. So based on this study and based on, you know, multiple um, opinions that we really needed to focus on older patients, because when you focus on all comers, you generally accrue almost all younger patients. Um, there have been an, a number of clinical trials developed focused primarily on the older patient population or the f- physiologically older patient population. The first of these in the um, era of targeted therapies was the Resonate 2 study. Um, this study was a phase 3 randomized trial, it accrued 269 total patients age 65 and older, and randomized to ibrutinib or chlorambicil. Um, At the first time that this data was presented, there was a median follow-up of 18.4 months and very unsurprisingly ibrutinib performed better than Chlorambucil with an 84% lower risk of progression or death with ibrutinib. And at two years, 89% of patients remain progression-free. And this number, this eight, around 89%, you'll see pretty consistently throughout the phase three studies. so I think it's a pretty good um, estimate of what percentage of patients are gonna be alive and progression-free at two years if you're looking at the older patient population. So that takes us to um, the AO41202 study, and Dr. Kay kind of explained to you the genesis of the study. So this trial was designed for older patients to compare what we thought was the gold standard chemoimmunotherapy regimen in this patient population, um, which we decided was bendamustine plus rituximab, compared to two ibrutinib-containing regimens, either ibrutinib given as a single agent or ibrutinib given in combination with rituximab. Um, obviously, a second question of this study was whether there was any benefit to adding rituximab to ibrutinib. Um, This study, in contrast to the E1912 study, um, did allow patients with 17P deletion and did have a crossover. Um, So these are the characteristics of the patients. A total of 547 were enrolled. Um, The the median age was 71, um, and that was pretty consistent among all the arms. The, uh, about 6% of patients had 17P deletion, 19% had 11Q deletion, 10% were TP53 mutated, um, 53% were ZAP70 unmethylated, which we had used as a um, surrogate for IGBH mutational status because it was something that could be performed in real time, um, and then 61% of the patients we were able to test were IGBH unmutated. As well, um, kind of surprising to me at the time, 29% of patients in this previously untreated patient population had a complex karyotype, which is three or more cytogenetic abnormalities. Our primary endpoint was progression-free survival, Um, and you can see as expected and as you know that ibrutinib regimens performed better than chemoimmunotherapy. There's a hazard ratio of 0.38 for the ibrutinib rituximab versus BR comparison and 0.39 for the ibrutinib alone versus BR comparison. There was no difference at all between IR and ibrutinib. And at 24 months, uh, in the BR arm, 74% of patients remained alive and progression-free, in the ibrutinib arm, 87%, and in the IR arm, 88%. In the subgroup of patients who had deletion 17P, this difference is um, even more pronounced, where at two years, 0% of the patients in the BR arm remained progression-free, whereas patients in ibrutinib or IR had a very good chance of being progression-free at that time point. When we looked at our very best risk patients, and those would be the ZAP70 methylated patients in the entire patient population, and the IgVH mutated patients in the subset that we tested, we can see that those arms are much closer together. Um, and there, at this time point, is not much difference in PFS among the three arms, although I think in the IGBH mutated patients, especially, you can see it looks like the curves are starting to separate, but we'll have to see what that looks like with longer follow-up. There was no difference among the three arms at this time in overall survival. When we look at grade three or higher adverse events, we see some of the same trends as we saw, as you saw um, earlier with the ECOG study, but a few important differences. Um, We did see that hematologic adverse events were more common with bendamustine rituximab than with either of the ibrutinib-containing arms. Um, non hematologic toxicities trended towards being higher in the ibrutinib arms, with some of the specific toxicities we know associated with ibrutinib um, seen more predominantly. And those are things like atrial fibrillation, which grade 3 or higher was seen in 6 to 9 percent of the ibrutinib-treated patients. Hypertension, um, 29 to 34 percent in the ibrutinib-treated patients. It it looks like some of these toxicities, like the atrial fibrillation and hypertension, are probably higher, um, are probably seen more often in older patients than younger patients. Um, We do have to remember that the baseline um, incidence of these AEs is higher. But at least I think most people's experience is that older patients seem more likely to develop atrial fibrillation. The hypertension, I'm not quite as sure about, but probably a little bit more likely in the older patients. and then it's, oops. Um, we had a category in this study when i when we were looking at the causes of death for these unexplained unwitnessed deaths and these were exactly what they found. We didn't know why the patient died, they were you know, found unresponsive, something else happened. Um, that was not different between the, the three arms. We know that ibrutinib has been associated with ventricular arrhythmias, so we would expect that there potentially are more arrhythmias in this patient population too, or lethal ventricular arrhythmias, um, but this did not exactly come out at this time point. The Illuminate study is the other phase three trial that was primarily designed for older or physiologically older patients um, with ibrutinib versus chemoimmunotherapy. Um, The study eligibility included patients age 65 or older or those who were under 65 that either had um, high comorbidity index, low creatinine clearance, or high risk disease, although I believe all of their patients were actually older. Um, Patients were randomized to either ibrutinib plus abenituzumab or chlorambucil plus obinutuzumab. Um, Their patient characteristics actually were um, pretty similar to what we saw in the last study. In the ibrutinib arm, the median age was 70, 12% of patients had 17P deletion, 12% TP53 mutation, and 62% were IGVH unmutated. Progression-free survival, as we would expect, was higher for ibrutinib plus obinutuzumab versus chlorambucil plus obinutuzumab. At 30 months, 77% of the ibrutinib obanituzumab patients remained in remission versus 16% in the other arm. This is actually a little bit lower than what we had seen in some of the other studies of either ibrutinib or IR. Um, And I don't know that we have a really good idea as to why this study um, looks different in this patient population. But again, with longer-term follow-up, we'll see whether the studies um, appear more similar. Here's the forest plot for the Illuminate study. Um, Again, as Dr. Akea explained when looking at the previous one, we're looking at different subgroups of CLL patients and whether in that particular subgroup, the trend for progression free survival favors the ibrutinib or chemoimmunotherapy. And we can see here that basically every subgroup does better with ibrutinib plus obinutuzumab with the possible exception of the group without high risk disease. Grade three adverse events in this study, um, the hematologic toxicities were potentially like a tiny bit higher in chlorimbucil plus abenatizumab, not quite as different as when you use more aggressive chemotherapy regimens. Um, atrial fibrillation, as you would expect, was seen more commonly in the iabrutinib plus abinitizumab arm. So what do these trials tell us? First, ibrutinib, ibrutinib plus rituximab, and ibrutinib plus obinutuzumab are more effective than standard chemo in a primarily older patient population. Ibrutinib monotherapy is probably just as good as ibrutinib plus a CD20 monoclonal antibody with the caveat that ibrutinib versus ibrutinib obinutuzumab has never been studied. And these studies establish ibrutinib as one standard of care for frontline CLL for older patients. That brings us to the CLL14 study, which Dr. Kay already mentioned briefly, and this was the most recent phase three trial in frontline CLL designed primarily for for older patients, but this included any age um, that had a high comorbidity index or a low creatinine clearance, which again is gonna kind of naturally select for the older patient population. Patients were randomized to Chlorambucil plus Obinutuzumab versus Venetoclax plus Obinutuzumab. And when thinking about these two novel theories, regimens, you know, one big difference here is that the venetoclax in this study is only given for one year, so it's a finite duration of therapy. Patient characteristics, median age was 72, and the venetoclax plus the obinituzumet- arm. Um, The range is a little bit higher, so they had some younger patients down to age 41 and actually up to age 89. Most patients had a high comorbidity index, the Sears-G score. Uh, 8.5% of patients had 17P deletion, 11% were TP53 mutated, and 60% were IGBH unmutated. Progression-free and overall survival favored venetoclax plus obinutuzumab. Median follow-up um, at the time the study was presented, it was 28.1 months. So that's about one year on therapy and one year off therapy, which I think is important to keep in mind. Um, at 24 months, progression-free survival was 88% with venetoclax plus obinutuzumab. And again, um, you know, when you're kind of... Comparing apples to oranges, but doing these kind of cross-trial comparisons of fairly similar patient populations, 88% here is fairly similar to what we see with ibrutinib at two years on most of the other trials. Adverse events, Um, venetoclax plus obinutuzumab appears actually fairly similar to chlorambucil plus obinutuzumab in terms of AEs, hematologic toxicities were fairly similar. Numerically, I think there's a little bit more neutropenia on venetoclax obin, but there was no um, comparison of whether that was significant or not. Um, non-hematologic toxicities as well were pretty similar between the two groups. Um, there was a little bit more diarrhea in the venetoclax plus obinutuzumab arm. Um, I highlighted neoplasms as being something that was numerically higher with venetoclax plus obin compared to clorambucil plus obin. Again, this you know is very short follow-up. The category includes benign plus malignant too, so may not be actually representative of something that is clinically important, but something that will be followed in long-term analysis, I'm sure. So what does this trial tell us? First, venetoclax plus obinutuzumab is indeed more effective than chlorambicil plus obinutuzumab. Toxicity is pretty similar between the regimens, showing that venetoclax plus obinutuzumab is very well tolerated in this predominantly older patient population. Like I said, at two years, the PFS for venetoclax obin is pretty similar to what we see with ibrutinib. And I think long-term results for this study will be critical to determine the place for this regimen in clinical practice, but it is a standard of care regimen. So some special considerations for older versus younger patients with these options. And I think, you know, in general, the options are pretty much the same for older patients and younger patients. You can, you still can use chemoimmunotherapy if you'd like to in some patients, although I think the trials would suggest that all patients would probably do better with um, either ibrutinib, potentially ibrutinib with an antibody or venetoclax plus Um When we're looking specifically at older patients, you know, we'll see a lot of patients who have cardiovascular disease. Um, they're really isn't any guideline that says that you know patients with coronary artery disease or congestive heart failure would necessarily do better on one regimen or another. Um, however, given the arrhythmias that are seen with um, ibrutinib, I think for somebody who has a history of arrhythmias, ibrutinib is probably not the best frontline option, and better choice would be a venetoclax-based regimen, potentially a calibrutinib when that becomes available as well. Patients with poorly controlled hypertension, that might be a, an issue when using ibrutinib. Um, certainly it can be tried and see, um, see how they respond. But for those patients as well, it might be a better choice to use venetoclax plus obinituzumab. Um, and then those who need warfarin, so patients who have a mechanical valve and have to be on warfarin anticoagulation, those potentially who have antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, um, people who need that drug, all of the BTK inhibitor trials, um, except for the initial ones, excluded patients on warfarin, so I think for those patients venetoclax is probably a better option. Um, whether that extends to all patients who are on anticoagulants, probably not. Um, and then for patients who cannot tolerate hydration, those who have kidney disease, those who have um, congestive heart failure, those who just are older and can't tolerate hydration, um, venetoclax does require some hydration during the ramp-up, so for those patients a P2K inhibitor may be a better option. And then, as I've said multiple times, I think long-term follow-up from these current studies really is going to be critical. Um, One thing that it will tell us over time is whether there are any um, signals towards infectious issues or secondary cancers with any of these regimens. Um, These tend to to affect our older patients disproportionately and really could tip the balance one way or another in terms of the preferred frontline option. Um, so, Dr. Kay mentioned this um, study already too. But this is the successor study to the Alliance trial. Um, this is A041702, um, designed in collaboration with um, the ECOG group, who is looking at the younger patients. Um, this trial is designed for patients age 70 and older. And similar to the ECOG study, patients are randomized to either ibrutinib plus obinutuzumab or the triplet of ibrutinib plus obinutuzumab plus venetoclax. Um, Key differences here, so 17P patients are allowed in this trial. and in this study, all patients will be treated for one year and then will undergo a response assessment. Patients who are on the ibrutinib plus obinutuzumab arm will continue ibrutinib indefinitely. Those that are on the triple therapy arm, if they have an MRD negative CR at 14 cycles, which is about 12 months, um, they will discontinue ibrutinib. If they do not have an MRD-CR, they'll continue ibrutinib. Um, this time point was chosen based upon our um, initial triplet study where we used the one-year duration of therapy. So this trial is really testing, obviously, what's best for older patients in terms of these frontline options, and as well as looking at um, how a, a response-adapted strategy of discontinuation would perform. So if you don't have this trial open um, at home, please consider opening it. It's available through the the NCTN and um, should be pretty quick to get up and running. So in conclusion, um, there are indeed special considerations to therapy in older patients, and clinical trials really need to address chronologically or physiologically older patients in dedicated studies. Um, I didn't really talk about this much, but um, Prior to the CLL11 study, which was one of the first ones designed for older patients, the median age um, on all of our frontline studies done in the United States was about 65. So, really, in order to, to. to tell what's best for the majority of these patients, we have to dedicate studies to them. Um, Geriatric assessments or surrogates are really important when designing these studies to to kind of differentiate those chronologically older patients into more and less fit. Um, Long-term follow-up studies is going to be critical, and our prospective clinical trials remain extremely important to help determine the optimal frontline therapy. So with that, I'll end, and I'll be happy to take questions at the end of all the talks. Thank you.